I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers on hunger, housing, and hope. We're taking a look at all of the changes that are happening in our country right now and asking the question, will they impede the new administration from doing its job? Will they stop them from making the changes that are so urgently needed for Americans, not just in urban communities, but in communities all across the United States that have been devastated by the pandemic and devastated economically as well. So we're gonna talk about this with our panel, what's ahead, what's going on now, and also about their commitment to getting out the word. All of them are doing something in their own sphere of influence and in their own careers to try to make changes for the better. We're gonna hear about the efforts that they're doing and why and whether, I'm saying hopefully, um, we'll find out whether they feel hopeful about what can be done or is this just gonna be more of the same old just on a more traumatic and larger scale. So joining me for this conversation is Jessica Gonzalez Rojas. She's the first Latina, first person of color elected to the New York State Assembly from Jackson Heights and the other neighborhoods in Queens. Uh, Jessica, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Zoran Mamdani. He is the um, first South Asian man elected to the New York State Assembly, first South Asian man elected period from New York City to anything. Um, Zoran, great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Eugene Scott. He's a political reporter for the Washington Post and host of the new podcast, The Next Four Years. It's an Amazon exclusive. You can find it on Amazon Music. If you want to hear original reporting, which I know so many of you do from the comments again on social media, you need to check out this podcast because Eugene gets people that are right in the middle of everything the way only a Washington Post reporter can. So it's really great. So Eugene, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Jessica, when we first talked with you after you were elected to office, a lot of hope, a lot of you know optimism. But first of all, give us those issues that now that you're in office, you're seeing are number one, two, and three on your list of what needs to change. Well, I think underneath it all, we need to make sure we're bringing in the revenue. This pandemic has decimate, decimated uh, our country, our, our city, and our state. And as a state legislator, we have an obligation to ensure that we have the resources to take care of every single New Yorker, every single New Yorker. So it's gonna take money and it's gonna take those resources. So I would say top of that priority list is to tax the rich um, and make sure we're bringing in the revenue. I just wanna underscore that 120 billionaires with a B have gotten $77 billion richer during the pandemic, just during this period. So we have to ensure that they're doing their due diligence, that they're digging a little bit deeper so that every single New Yorker has the opportunity to thrive. But the issues that you also raised just now, right? Hunger, housing, right? Making sure that everyone has the resources that they need to survive and thrive in this moment. And I would add health to that. Dorian, what about for you in terms of, you've been a big advocate for, for housing, for more affordable housing. What do you see as the urgent crisis? Because there's a moratorium on evictions, but that isn't really having an effect or helping everybody. What do you what do you see as the most urgent things right now? Like, I got to do this no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I think that you've hit the nail on the head, which is that an eviction moratorium is in many ways a stopgap measure, right? I'm very proud of the fact that New York has passed some of the most progressive legislation with regards to a moratorium across the country, but it expires in May. And then what's going to happen? 
you know, we keep kicking the can down the road, thinking that at some point someone else will solve this situation for us. But we were in fact elected to provide the solution. And what the solution is, is to provide New Yorkers with a fresh start. So we can stop people from getting evicted, but we have to ensure that when housing courts open back up, that there is no premise for that eviction to come back at that moment. So what that means is canceling the back rent that people owe across New York and ensuring that we provide small landlords with the relief that they need. And as Jessica said, the only way we can take those kinds of measures is if we pass revenue raisers across the state, because we talk about ourselves as New Yorkers, as a progressive people, as a progressive state. We have a tax system that's regressive. It's the opposite of what we say we are. And there's $50 billion at the very least that is waiting to come into our state's coffers that could pay for these kinds of very necessary needs. All right, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. Eugene Scott, um, political reporter for the Washington Post and host of the podcast the next four years. Mm -hmm. Even in the time that you've been doing the podcast, you have had to change and readjust your weekly topics and focus because so much has been going on. There was a lot of hope, as you know, with the new administration, the election of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, that, okay, wow, we can finally deal with some of these issues, these criminal justice, the inequalities, the racial disparities in so many areas of American life. And yet now we're in the middle of this, what seems to so many people as almost a continual upheaval. What do you think that's gonna do to the hopes for this new administration to really tackle these urgent daily problems that Americans are facing? Well, when I speak with uh, voters, uh, hope remains, but I think everyone realizes that the administration is going to be a bit distracted. Uh, so many of the issues that uh, voters uh, were motivated to um, turn out and show up for and, and support Biden, there's still hope that he will prioritize those. There's going to be a lot of pressure um, on him, particularly from the left, uh, who turned out in um, numbers that uh, were essential to his victory. Uh, but uh, the Biden administration so far seems to be making the case that they can do multiple things at the same time, address a pandemic, address an economic downturn, and quite frankly, hold a president accountable for um, actions that led to the deaths of, as at this point, at least five uh, individuals. And so um, what the Biden uh, administration is going to have to uh, prove is that they can move forward with cleaning up the mess that has happened in the past at the same time, because the pressure is there for all of that. So you think they're, from the Washington perspective, they're feeling that pressure and, and, and that's why we heard Biden say, okay, look, we can do, you know, we, we have to keep moving forward on two tracks, whatever is the urgent crisis of the day, as well as, like you said, the agenda that they were elected on. Yeah, we've had Biden tell reporters or, or officials, should I say, from the Biden administration tell reporters and other lawmakers that there is concern that the first 100 days of the administration, which are very key, um, could be so overwhelmed and so focused on Trump and getting Trump together and in order that it can, uh, you know, prevent the Biden administration from doing what it is that they've promised so many Americans that uh, they will be able to do. But Many of the voters um, on the left have no desire to see the administration just move on without addressing uh, what happened last week, especially because there's real fear uh, that if it's not addressed, that these things could happen again in the future. I was interviewing um, a congressman, a new congressman from New York, Mondaire Jones, and he said the message has to be sent to the Republican Party as a whole that no future Donald Trumps will be tolerated. 
So there are ways that you have to go about doing that. And that's why there's some pressure from on the Senate, should I say, to do whatever they can to make sure that Donald Trump can't run again in 2024 or to keep other, you know, Trump minute lights or uh, people influenced by the president uh, from moving forward with this agenda that you all know firsthand has been so divisive and unpopular with many Americans. Right, and these, and and after the, you know, since the attack on the on the Capitol, obviously these problems, those issues are not going to go away very very quickly. It's something that is, like you said, going to carry into the next to the first 100 days to this period right now. But uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to find out what our guests have to say about all the hungry people here in the United States right now. This is Street Soldiers, and Lisa Evers will be right back. What up, this is Trey Songz, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, real people, only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about hunger, housing, and hope. Can the new administration, can all of our newly elected local and state officials can they really do the job when all of the local, the state, the federal are all intertwined in terms of aid, in terms of how they work together, in terms of regulations and rules? Can they all work together to actually help the American people through this unprecedented economic crisis and pandemic? And also now what we're seeing kind of a loss of hope and just a total malaise. Uh, joining me for this conversation is Jessica Gonzalez Rojas. She's the first Latina, first person of color elected from District 34, representing Jackson Heights and other neighborhoods in Queens to the New York State Assembly. Assemblywoman Gonzalez Rojas, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Also with us is Zoran Mandani. He is the um, Democrat from Queens, 36th District, first South Asian man elected to the New York State Assembly and uh, first South Asian man elected from New York City period. So Zoran, great to have you with us again. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Eugene Scott. He's a political reporter for the Washington Post and host of the new podcast, um, an Amazon exclusive called The Next Four Years on Amazon Music. Eugene, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Jessica, when you first saw, when did you really first think that the uh, the hunger crisis, this food crisis was different than it has been in the past. Cause we've always had food insecurity, unfortunately in New York city, especially in certain communities are economically challenged communities and for a lot of kids and for the, the homeless population. But when did you, when did you come to realize and say, wait a minute, this is like on a whole nother level. Yeah. My district is the epicenter of the epicenter. I include the neighborhoods of Jackson Heights, East Elmhurst, Corona and Woodside. Elmhurst Hospital is just down the street. Ambulance felt like the soundtrack of my campaign. And we were in literally in the midst of campaigning uh, when, when the pandemic broke. And immediately we shifted from in-person door knocking and engaging with folks in the community to call banking. And call banking became different. It wasn't like, hey, I'm a candidate, vote for me. It was like, how are you? Are you okay? So it was very, very evident very early that food insecurity emerged as one of the top needs in our community. Between elders that were unable to leave their homes to access grocery store, back then it was you know mid-March when they were uh, limiting the number of people in grocery stores. So to go shopping, you had to expose yourself to the elements, wait outside, um, often for hours to get inside. Um, so there were elders not even willing or able to take that risk. And then also younger people, healthier people in the household that actually didn't want to go out and expose themselves to bring home. And then the poverty rate 
is really high here. We have a large immigrant community that has gotten zero relief from any form of government. So they have often worked through the pandemic at the front lines in order to put food on their table. But because I volunteer at a food pantry every single Friday, I see the lines getting longer and longer and longer. So it was heartbreaking. It was very, very evident early in the, in the pandemic. But again, I think what the coronavirus did was actually shine a spotlight on the inequities that already existed. So it was just heightened. But we saw that very quickly, we acted very quickly, but this, we need to solve this at a systemic level. You know, I feel good that I'm able to help people, that I'm hand, able to hand them a box of food every week, that we're able to provide the support, but those are Band-Aid solutions. And we need real systemic change to ensure that everyone can put food on their table right now. Zoran, what about for you with the, uh, with, with the hunger crisis? How, how do, did you see it manifest and grow into what it is now? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, there are just different moments from these last few months that will never leave my memory. And, you know, one of them is, you know, in our office, we had a more than 2000 square foot office that we rented on Steinway uh, in the heart of Astoria. And then the pandemic hit and obviously we shut down the office and we ended up um, using it to house a food pantry that was started by a brilliant woman named Michaela Sears and now run by her, another amazing organizer named Katie Fireman. The two of them run this pantry called the Astoria Food Pantry. And they would distribute and continue to distribute food every Friday morning. And the one image that I will never forget is when I was coming by the office on Thursday around midnight and there were already families lined up to get food nine hours later. And that is a reality that has been, has been people's lives for the last few months. And you know, I also appreciate Lisa, what you said at the beginning of this, which is that food insecurity is not something that's new to our city or our country for that matter. Um, the, one of the many problems we have though is we have a tendency to view structural failures as personal ones. And so when people cannot afford food, we have this idea that it is their fault, that they have, they have done something wrong. But really the only people who have failed us are not people in, at all, it is the institution of our government. And that is kind of, you know, to echo what Jessica said, I'm so happy that we're able to provide food and that frankly, these organizations and, and ordinary people have come together to create these pantries to keep each other safe. But at the end of it, how sustainable is it? How, you know, how long, how long can it, can it go on? Eugene, in terms of the national, the national hunger crisis, we've seen so many reports over the last year of people waiting online for hours to get a spot people who had never you know, taken, I've interviewed them in, in different stories too. It's, it's like men and women saying, I've never accepted what they considered a handout in my life, but I have to feed my family. I have no other choice. What do you see happening with that? And when did you realize it was just, th this is something totally different? Yeah, you know, I, I, what comes to mind first is a study that came out, I believe in October from Columbia University in New York that said, 8 million people slipped into poverty uh, during this pandemic. And one of the things that I've, I find really important to pay attention to, which I'm sure the lawmakers on the panel definitely resonate with, is when we think about poverty, that's like a specific definition and a specific income level. But if you make a dollar more than that, you're not being counted in that number, right. but you're obviously still struggling. And, and there's a, so the number is definitely far more than 8 million. And one of the reasons why we saw so many um, working class voters and, and barely middle class voters back the Biden-Harris uh, campaign uh, in 2020 is because 
uh, they felt like the current administration was often talking about just how well the economy was recovering and how well people's 401ks were doing. Um, and, and they just didn't resonate with that. And so um, the impetus for this new administration to address this poverty uh, crisis that we're seeing is gonna be high um, because we're seeing it in areas that uh, we historically have not seen it. And just like you said, a lot of new voices one of the things I think about a lot, I'm rambling a bit here, but one of the things I think about no, a lot- No, we want, and, and you guys, and, and Jessica and Zora, please feel free to jump in. Everybody feel free to jump in too. You don't have to wait for me to ask questions. I'm fascinated by it, but no, no, go on Eugene, please. This is an issue that isn't, isn't limited to inner cities. It isn't uh, limited to the rural South. We're seeing Americans across the board um, say we need more government solutions um, to the crisis we currently find ourselves in. All right, well, when we come back, I'm gonna see what our guests have to say about this human rights push. Should housing and food and education be considered basic human rights guaranteed for everyone? We'll find out what they have to say about that when we come back. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You did. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the new year, the new administration, housing, hunger, and hope with our panel, finding out what's reality, what's just a dream and will stay a dream. Uh, joining me is Jessica Gonzalez Rojas. She's the first Latina, first person of color elected from Jackson Heights and surrounding Queens neighborhoods. Jessica, great to have you with us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also with us is her colleague in the New York State Assembly, Zoran Mamdani. He is the first South, South Asian man elected to the New York State Assembly and first South Asian man from New York City elected to public office, period. Zoran, great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Eugene Scott. He's a political reporter for the Washington Post, and he is the host of the new podcast, an Amazon exclusive called The Next Four Years. You can hear it on uh, Amazon Music. And I want to just say to everybody who's always asking me, I, I want to hear the original source. I want to hear what's really going on. This is what real news reporting is all about. And you will love the podcast because... Um, Eugene lays it all out, breaks it all down, and has voices of people, as reporters do, as we do, of people who were actually really there, not commentating, not giving their opinion, people who were really there and can talk about what was going on. So Eugene, great to have you with us on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so thank you so much. Zoran, the um, should hunger, housing, and education, should the solutions to those all be basic human rights? Absolutely. I think that anything that is required to live a dignified life should be something that is guaranteed. It should not be something that is determined by the market, whether or not you can afford it. I mean, we're talking about, do people deserve to live in, in a frank sense, right? Do people deserve to have a place to sleep, have food to eat, have schools to send their children to? I fundamentally don't believe that anyone should be priced out of any of those things. And I think that we have to make sure that when we talk about this, it's not just as a slogan, but that we legislate in that way so that these issues become public goods. Jessica, what, what do you think about that? Absolutely. I think those things are human rights. I will add a healthcare as a healthcare activist uh, and advocate. I, I think every we all must be healthy, right? But it, But all those issues are actually intertwined, right? You can't be healthy if you don't have a, a, a you know shelter if you don't have access to quality education 
you know, if you don't have access to good jobs, all these things are intertwined and intersectional. Um, and I believe it's all a human right. And we have to fight to ensure that we're investing the resources so everyone has the opportunity to thrive. Eugene, what about the, this, because uh, the concept of human rights really, I think, expanded during uh, during 2020 when people were looking at healthcare, they were looking at um, equal justice under the law. We saw the George Floyd tragedy. We saw Black Lives Matter raising awareness about injustices with policing and law enforcement and the criminal justice system, the hunger, you know, all of these issues that, that, that people are having. Do you, how do you think we really need to be looking at human rights right now? You know, I, I would say that it has expanded as far as what perhaps the Democratic Party would consider a human right. But the idea that healthcare and housing are fundamental human rights goes back for decades, if not centuries. And what we have seen is, you know, the Democratic Party move left on this issue because uh, so many of the people who voted Democratic are asking, why is healthcare tied to employment? Like, they, they don't understand why that makes sense and have not been presented with uh, solutions or should I say an explanation for why it has to be the way it has been. And so what this has done is it's, it's put Republicans and more conservative Democrats uh, in a position to make the argument for why housing and why education and why healthcare aren't human rights. Um, and I think in this current political climate, that's gonna be a really hard argument to make. Uh, because so many people uh, understand that the way the, the way and what's um, perhaps necessary to live a quality life requires housing, requires food, requires solid education. And so um, this certainly suggests that there has been a pivot over the last maybe two, two years. I would argue 2018, uh, the midterms was probably when uh, we started seeing more people on Capitol Hill in response perhaps to the 2016 campaign of Bernie Sanders say we have to rethink what we consider to be fundamental human rights. Jessica, do you think there's a, a is there a generation, are there generational differences in how people view this or does it, is it more dependent on what their circumstances are? I think it's actually a, a vision of the world and, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a theory that if you believe in abundance, if you believe there's enough for everybody, if you believe in a more matriarchal society, right, you will lean left, you will lean more progressive, you will lean to make sure that we're providing those resources. You know, there's a faction of folks who believe in scarcity, right, fighting for crumbs, right, that, that there, there's, uh, you know, those who are desert, more deserving than others, right, it's embedded, there's, there's embedded racism, right, there's an embedded inequity. Right. And, 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 and those are the folks that you, we're fighting, right? And those are the systems and the, the ideology that we're up against. And it's, and it's real. It's very, very real. I've been doing advocacy for, you know, 22 years. And one thing I always think about is the um, creation of the welfare queen in the 70s, right? And that fake construction of someone who is abusing a system has been embedded in our psyche. And we have to undo that because it's racist, it's sexist, it's deeply problematic, um, and it actually moves us away from creating the society that we really need that provides the basic resources so everyone has an opportunity to live, work, and raise a family in the society. I just wanted to add to that. I, I think one of the things that's been so fascinating about this moment um, in terms of pushing back on the idea of like the system being abused uh, is that we, we fail to acknowledge that 
mothers who are on welfare are, are taxpayers. I mean, one of the frustrating things about the stimulus uh, check uh, delay for many people, it's uh, people feel like they're asking the government to give them their money back, the money that they have invested into the system to be there for them when they are, are in need. I mean, we, we know that even undocumented immigrants pay taxes in this country. Absolutely. They pay taxes that they'll never receive the benefits from. They, they won't. They, they, abso they absolutely will, will not as, as things go. And I think one of the things that's been so fascinating about social media um, is that it's given so many people a voice and direct access to decision makers. And so much of the status quo um, has, has been disrupted and people are just asking why do things have to be this way and, and without a doubt we're seeing um, you know zeal from, from the younger generation but uh, I, I think it's so important not to uh, downplay the number of like baby boomers and older Americans who are like things don't have to be the way they've always been. Right. Gen Xer, right here. <laughs> we're kind of getting we, we, like a like resuscitated, like this idea that maybe didn't seem practical before, or even right. realistic, getting resuscitated. Like, wow, they're getting they're they're getting hope too. Zoran, Zoran, what about that? I think that you know, it, it is very funny because a lot of this is associated with a younger generation, and then at the same time, we're also crediting Bernie Sanders for the national right. resurgence of this. Who's one of you know definitely not a member of the younger generation. Um, and I, the original the, that whole uh, you know the whole movement. Yeah, <laughs> and and I think that it it kind of speaks to the fact that we try and caricature these issues as if they're specific to one demographic, but in reality, it speaks to a vision, as Jessica said, a vision, right, of, of dignity, frankly. And I think that, you know, in this moment, we really need to make sure, we have two years where the Democrats have control over, three, over, over Congress, over Senate, over the presidency, two years where it's guaranteed. And in those two years, we have to ensure that we are giving working people dignity back. We cannot try and calibrate and ensure that we don't, let's not do something, let's not do a little too much of this, let's not do a little too much of that. When Republicans are in power, they are unabashed about the fact that they are there to give back to the corporate class. When Democrats are in power, they are often afraid of their own shadow. And we are here to say and to demand that there's nothing wrong with giving things back to the working class of the United States of America. In fact, it is why we are running for office is to lift them up out of the poverty that they are facing. And so that's people, what we need to see. And a lot of people, a lot of people feel the same way because they put both of you, put, put both of you in office. We're gonna take a short break. When we come back, I'm gonna ask all of our guests, are they hopeful? And is there a real reason to be hopeful? Um, we'll find out. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Yo, what up? This your homie, Ace Hood, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about hunger, housing, and hope. Will we see real change considering all of the upheaval and changes that seem to be happening in our lives pretty much every single day? Join me for this conversation, Jessica Gonzalez Rojas. She's the first Latina, first person of color elected to the New York State Assembly from Jackson Heights and surrounding Queens communities. Jessica, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Zoran Mamdani. He is the first South Asian man elected to the New York State Assembly, first South Asian man from New York City period, elected to public office, and he uh, represents Astoria and several other Queens neighborhoods. 
Soren, great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also with us is Eugene Scott. He's a political reporter for the Washington Post, and he's also host of the new podcast, an Amazon exclusive called The Next Four Years, our exact topic. Actually, I wish I, that, that would have been a better title. Um, the Next Four Years, and it's on Amazon Music. And if you love to really know what's going on and hear from people who are on the ground, which you know I love, I love Boots on the Ground, um, this is the podcast you need to hear. So um, Eugene, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Eugene, we heard the term in the past, you know, identity politics, the, that personality politics, uh, Facebook politics, where people had to feel like they knew the person and everything about their, their personal life. And then with the election in this, this unprecedented election where more people, more, so many Americans turn out more, I think, than ever before in every category, Biden and Harris were elected by a coalition, a very unusual coalition. So what do you see from your vantage point that really drew them together? Well, I think what uh, Biden and Harris learned uh, is that many of the issues that concern Americans most uh, concern them regardless of their various identities. I mean, the, the issue of food insecurity, it concerns about uh, housing. Uh, you know, these, these aren't urban problems or evangelical problems or LGBT problems. These are largely American problems. And uh, they found a way to communicate to different pockets of America that they uh, were hopeful uh, that they could provide solutions that benefited everyone and not just uh, their base, which quite frankly, uh, the Trump campaign ran on promising a better America for his base. And the reality is numerically, most Americans are outside of his base. Um, and so that alone, um, was what made uh, Biden and Harris successful. I think the real challenge though, is that different groups have different ideas about what, how to go about solving these problems. And a lot of times those ideas conflict. And so it'll be really interesting to see uh, the, the administration try to get as many groups, uh, you know, pleased um, and, and uh, feeling like their vote uh, turned out to, uh, in the way that they would have liked without feeling uh, in, in competition or feeling duped or uh, looking out, looking in another direction for another candidate uh, in the next four years. So, so, so a sense of unity through all the troubles that everybody was having. Yeah, and I, th I think that is what um, uh, you see the Democratic Party moving towards. I mean, this Georgia election was the, the epitome of that. Uh, people realizing that uh, you know these this Democratic candidate, this Black candidate, this Jewish candidate could somehow provide. A, a great place for people in, you know, rural working class Georgia. And so I think we're going to see the Biden Harris administration try their best to uh, replicate that. Whether the Re Republican Party will take a, uh, you know, a hint in their post Trump world and say, we also have to figure out a way uh, to benefit people who are not just like us uh, remains to be seen. But I think right now, uh, that's why all eyes are on impeachment because part of the idea behind that for many conservatives is we we got to figure out something else that's going to be winsome than other than what we currently have had are you hopeful are you hopeful yourself i mean we i know reporting not supposed to take sure. anything, but are you yeah. no i mean so at, as, to your point uh as, as a journalist i'm probably a little naturally cynical um <laughs> uh but you know as a gay black man in america i i am i am very optimistic because i know that i have rights literally today that i didn't have 10 years ago Right. Um, and so, you know, I was here on the ground in DC looking outside of my window and I tell people all the time, you know, I remember when uh, Black Lives Matter started shortly after the 
um, murder of Trayvon Martin. And I was at protests covering them and people were, it was just black people. It was just young black people saying, you know, police violence is an issue or should I say overwhelmingly. But you know, we saw uh, after the, the killing of George Floyd, we saw protests in North Dakota and Alaska and Wyoming. And let me tell you, if you don't already know, those protests were not predominantly black. And so when I see people who are advocating for the right of groups that they are not a part of, that gives me hope, right? When men are marching for women's rights, when citizens are marching for immigrants' rights, when straight people are advocating for the rights of queer people, that makes me optimistic. And I think that's where we are right now. Yeah, that, no, that's very powerful, very powerful. Um, Zoran, what about, what about you, hopeful? I am hopeful, um, but you know, I, I, I am hopeful and I, and I wanna speak to what Eugene so beautifully kind of brings up, which is this notion of solidarity. You know, that we, that we stand not just for those that we know, but those that we have never met. And those that look nothing like us and have lived completely different lives because we believe that these things, these human rights are innate and that every single person deserves them. They don't have to prove that they should get those kinds of things. Right. Um, but I think that hope also should not mean complacency. You know, I think that the Biden-Harris administration will give us more oxygen um, where we don't have to spend every single day wondering about what tweet has been sent and why. But it doesn't just mean that everything that we've hoped for will be delivered to us. We still have to win these very battles. We still have to pressure these very politicians. Uh, and I think that that's what also makes me hopeful is that I see a real mass movement building out across the city, the state, this country that understands that Every single day, we have to make very clear that we will not settle for anything less than the dignity that we know every single person deserves. And the other thing I also want to say, Lisa, is something that refers to what Eugene brought up earlier on, um, which is this question of, you know, do we move forward or do we address what we have seen so that we can ensure that it does not repeat itself, specifically with regards to Trump? And that question, it really makes me think of the photo with a man who brought the Confederate flag into the Capitol. And I think that that is a photo that illuminates what happens when this country does not deal with the very real dark realities of its history and right. simply wishes it will go away. If we do not deal with these things, they will fester, they will continue. So for any single act, whether it's the insurrection, whether it's the Confederacy, there has to be accountability and we cannot allow ourselves to shirk that in the interests of some fake vision of unity that is built around nothing but a desire to just move forward without No, ab absolutely. We start 2021 with the Confederate flag off the Mississippi state flag. So uh, that, that's that's some progress in that regard. Uh, Jessica, final word on, uh, are you hopeful? I've been spending my career doing organizing and power building. And I did some work in South Texas where the idea of innate human right, that that transcends borders was very, very powerful for the Latinas, the immigrants that I work with on the ground. And I think about that as I enter this new job, right? It's not like my organizing, you know, my advocacy is of the past, it's just manifest in a different way. And to see the energy and the groundswell and the accountability in which communities are holding because they recognize that these rights are innate, right? They recognize that they deserve more than what we were given is really, really powerful. So I always say I'm working alongside a community as opposed to for, you know, voicing, you know, somehow it's a voiceless community. We all have voices, right. right? And I believe on lifting up those voices and to see the power that's been built 
in the city, in the state, across the country gives me tremendous hope. All right, well, I wanna thank, um, thank you all for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Uh, Jessica Gonzalez Rojas, thank you so much for being with us. Zoran Mondani, thank you so much for being with us. And Eugene Scott, appreciate having you on the show. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind, it's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. And let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.